As I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen I'm never quitting on my mission, I'ma roll with what I'm giving Got some ambition, this new edition, filling positions Looking at the void in myself and feeling what's missing Better watch the way you going, better go in the right direction In the moment you stressing, but you gon' be counting blessings And I know that for certain, keep on working, open curtains Haters swerving, cause they ain't ready for your final version Whoa. I'm never gonna give up, give up Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up you're listening to the Tom Fitton Show on WNHK LP 103.5 FM. I'm never gonna give up, give up. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's Monday, February 6, 2023. And I guess I like to always kind of date stamp the show, but actually it's, it's an indirect way of also suggesting that in my mind, the shows we do are somewhat, if not eternal, certainly timeless and worth listening to even after February 6, 2023. This morning, we have the opportunity to talk about some eternal and timeless issues in terms of people's commitment to making the world a better place. Uh, we're here for a short time, but, but our impact can be great. And we're going to talk about particularly doing celebrating African-American, African-American History Month. <clears throat> I was trying to massage my throat earlier. But this is uh, Black History Month, Negro History Week Month, Afro Future Month, African Genesis Month. A lot of, a lot of names kind of occur <laughs> during this month. But it seems to me that our presence on the globe, regardless of your historical perspective, your her story perspective, is really magnificent. And we're going to have a chance to, today to illustrate that magnificence. And we're going to talk about Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler. We're really blessed to have. Uh, someone that's devoted much of her life to exposing, uh, communicating, celebrating Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler in the, in the name of, and her name is Dr. Melody T. McLeod, Dr. Melody T. McLeod. Dr. McLeod, welcome and good morning. Well, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. It's just a pleasure to be with you on this wonderful day. Dr. McLeod will uh, kind of discuss uh, and share with us who Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler was. And I guess as a kind of a teaser, let me just mention that Dr. Lee Crumpler was the first African-American woman to become a doctor of medicine in the United States. Let me repeat that. First African-American woman to become a doctor of medicine in the United States. Uh, so to be able to celebrate our ancestors in this point in time is just really, in, in my mind, let me be quite frank, an, an ecstatic moment, an ecstatic moment. Dr. McLeod is an obstetrician, gynecologist who herself blazed a trail when she became the first black female to establish an OBGYN practice in DeKalb County in Georgia, and the third to do so in the metro Atlanta area. I'm joined by Reverend Dr. Leroy O. Perry Jr., pastor of St. Stephen's AME Zion Church and cultural ambassador to the Yale Clinical Research Program. Reverend Elvin Clayton is with us as well, pastor of Walters Memorial AME Zion Church and cultural ambassador to the Yale Clinical Research Program. Welcome, everyone. Thank uh, you. Re Re Reverend Perry, before we uh, uh, put Dr. McLeod on the hot seat and, or on the loving seat, uh, sh share a little bit oh. about uh, uh, why uh, telling our story and why this particular series uh, is so really pertinent and relevant uh, from your perspective. Thank you, Tom. And good morning to all. Um, we decided uh, some time ago when we were doing um, the Ficklin show that we needed to have people of color uh, tell their story 
of how they either survived um, uh, clinical trial or some of the issues that have affected them and their families and struggles that they've gone through and, and have somehow gained a victory. I think by telling our story, others get hope and hear that there is a, a sense of possibility and promise mm-hmm. if, we, if we can just get the information. So when Melanie McLeod and I go back from Harlem days, uh-huh. and so when, I, when she told me that, um, that she had published a new book, and I know this is Black History Month, and, um, and there's a book with, about the wellness of Black women. Mm-hmm. Uh, Melanie, I just want you to know that I got the book on Amazon, and I am absolutely amazed by it. I, 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 I announced it in church yesterday and told the people, buy this book and we're going to buy it in bulk. Mm. I didn't know that Pauletta Washington, Denzel Washington's wife, and um, Jennifer Ashton had also kind of endorsed your book. But the quality of the book is phenomenal. Oh. Phenomenal. And I, I, I'll, I'll talk about it later on in the show. But one of the things, one of the reasons also that we wanted you on the show is because we wanted to let the world know that a black girl from Harlem (laughs) could go to Boston um, and become a doctor and had such great mentors in her life, like Y.T. Walker. We just wanted you to share Mm -hmm. your your story and and, and the fact that, you know, you have... um, You you have (laughs) from the past mentors. It's just awesome. It's just awesome. Dr. McLeodson, that's a lead, and please share, share with us a little, a little bit about yourself. Oh, my goodness. Well, after that, I'm I'm speechless. Uh, again, I'm just so grateful to Reverend Perry. And yes, we go way back uh, from Washington Heights days. That's right. Absolutely. And uh, he knows some of my life story and some of my history and some of the things I've gone through. And uh, he's journeyed with me through a little bit of it. So... <laughs> <laughs> So, and to hear you say what you just said now about my new new book, uh, and that you announced in the church, and I thank you. Um, I, I didn't put. I mean, I wrote the book, but the publisher did the book, and I too, I agree. I just think it's a beautiful publication they put together. But we can we can get to that later. Um, a little bit about myself. Uh, yes, I I grew up in New York City, Washington Heights, and. Um, I never knew any of my grandparents ever. Uh, I had an absentee father who I later found, met, found and met when I was 49 years old. I, I found him. And uh, I lived with a single mother who I admit in earlier days, she sacrificed, you know, to put me through school in the early days to grammar school. I went to Catholic school. So I, I am grateful for that experience. Uh, but I was a latchkey kid. I lived in a six-floor walk-up building on the fifth floor of that and uh, made it through, thank God, some of my young you know, street mates and housing mates. Uh, some of them I know ended up on drugs, and I'm just grateful to God that I was able to stay focused and keep my head down. And I do uh, thank I went to Catholic school for 12 years, but I actually uh, became a Baptist at Canaan Baptist Church in my 10th, <laughs> in my 10th grade. <laughs> we, won't, we won't hold that against you. <laughs> oh, come on now. Come on now. <laughs> so I am grateful um, 
in in many ways to Reverend Wyatt T. Walker. Uh, he 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 stepped in as a father and in, in many ways was there for me over the years. And he used to always sometimes I'd go down after after school uh, to go help out in the church office. And oftentimes if he was there, he would call me, hello, doctor. So I think that may have played a little role mm. in printing in my mind that mm. I could hear it. Mm. Dr. McLeod, just before we go to uh, the uh, Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler story, tell us perhaps, um, you know, what or how or to, 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 to make this conscious journey to enter the field of medicine, what was, what, what was kind of the stimulus or the incentive or what influenced you to kind of embark upon that path? Well, I really think a lot of it has to do with the fact that when I was a little girl, in New York City, I actually had a Black female pediatrician, and mm -hmm. her name was Dr. Doris Weathers, who, as it turns out, as we, you know, circle back around, she actually uh, was a pioneer at Yale School of Medicine. Mm -hmm. So she was my pediatrician when I was a little girl, and I remember I used to love to go to her office and, and, and yes, smell the rubbing alcohol in the air, and I used to hear how she would help people feel better. Mm -hmm. And I just think that had an effect on me and maybe by my being a Virgo, maybe I'm just naturally one to kind of help heal people or help people or something like that. I'm not sure, but I really think that play, she, she just, that she hit me in some kind of way. And I was impressed with that. So I think that had a lot to do with it. It's so important to have mentors and adult inspiration in front of our young people. So important. Let, let, let's go to a Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler. Uh, you've kind of lifted up and I'll, I'll dare say resurrected her spirit and her her, her oh. renowned and her story. So uh, tell us a little bit about that, about Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler. Oh, it's my pleasure and honor to, to speak about her. Uh, unfortunately, her story is one that's a little known in this nation and around the world. But um, I do presentations about her and I, I basically, one of my slides is, as the Civil War raged in 1864, uh, Dr. Rebecca Lee, later be Crumpler, uh, became the first Black female physician in the United States. Mm -hmm. So in 1864, she graduated from what is now Boston University School of Medicine. Uh, and I, I just think that's remarkable. Um, and honestly, her story, in a way, I kind of relate to it in some ways because she, she grew up in Delaware mm -hmm. and she observed her aunt taking care of people in the community. And she was impressed by that yes. uh, for many years. So then she later went to Boston and became a nurse for about eight years. And the doctors there at the hospitals were so impressed with her that they recommended that she apply to medical school. Mm. Okay, which says a lot about her. I mean, how her, her skill, her dedication, her commitment to her patients. They recommended her to apply to medical school. And at the time, it was the New England Female Medical College. Mm -hmm. And so that's where she matriculated. She graduated. And that school later merged with what is now Boston University School of Medicine. And then from there, her story continues on, you know, which we can get into if you like. Well, let, let's, let's tease us a little bit more. I mean, we don't want to tell. <laughs> yeah, tease us. Continue, please. Okay. Well, after she graduated, and again, that was 1864. So there was one more year with the war. Uh, and she, in her commitment to the, the, the art and the practice and the, the dedication that we as physicians feel 
Um, she decided, God bless her. I mean, I, she's she's more courageous than I think I would have been, but she actually decided to uproot from Boston and she went to Virginia. Mm. Okay, and she took part in what's called the Freedmen's Bureau, which was yeah. set up by the US government to help uh, repair war-torn communities. So she said she set her eyes on, on Richmond to be a, a good place you know, to provide care. So while she was in Richmond, she provided care to the recently freed slaves that the white doctors didn't want to touch. Fascinating. Unbelievable. I mean, I just think, well, I mean, how courageous was this woman? And her husband was with her. By that time, she was married to Arthur Crumpler. Her first husband passed. Um, and she stayed there for practically three years. She lived in terrible conditions. She treated people in tent camps in bad conditions. And also what's hurtful is, uh, from my extensive research about her, uh, some of the hospitals refused to uh, allow her admitting privileges, you know, where you can admit mm. your patients. And some of the pharmacists refused to honor her prescriptions. And another thing that I, that really still hurts me every time I say it is that uh, some people in there said that the MD behind her name didn't stand for medical doctor, but it stood for mule driver. Mm. Mm. I mean, that's just stunning. But she endured all that. She hung on in there for about three years. And then she returned to Boston. She set up her own practice. And then later she ended up writing a book. So she, she just has a remarkable story. And I think what's ironic is that she graduated from what's now Boston University School of Medicine, which, mm -hmm. as it turns out, is where I attended medical school. So it's kind of... <laughs> What 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 other other similarities do you see in terms of her uh, her journey and, and your journey? It seems to me that probably some threads that might kind of jump out to you from a generational impact and just passing passing the torch. Well, I think that's basically it. That she she was with someone that, that impressed her. Her aunt. She spent time in a hospital. I worked as a candy striper when I was in high school, so I spent some uh -huh. time in the hospital. Um, and so I guess as her aunt was her mentor, Dr. Weathers was my mentor. Mm. Um, and uh, those doctors encouraged her to go on. And again, as Reverend Walker encouraged me in some ways to keep going. So that was that. And then we ended up at the same medical school, as it turns out. We set up our own practices, as it turned out. And also we both, you know, again, she wrote a book called uh, a, a Tale of in Medi uh, Medical Discourses, a tale in two parts about women's and children's health. Mm -hmm. So it's just, mm -hmm. that's kind of an interesting uh, thread. Very much so. Yeah. Were you a candy striper at Harlem? No, I was a candy striper at Columbia Presbyterian Medical Center right All up the right. street up there. <laughs> and, and you know what's so funny? I'm going to tell you something. I think earlier today I sent you guys, uh, some of you anyway, a, a clip from the Amsterdam News. At the time when I was a little girl, there was a really strong demarcation that Harlem Harlem ended at 145th Street. So above that, we were Washington Heights. That's right. Okay. So it was so funny because when the Amsterdam News printed that I had, I, I had submitted something to them and they put in that I had graduated from medical school. And in the article, they put Harlem woman graduates, whatever. And it was like, wait a minute, I'm not from Harlem, but at the time... <laughs> 
Because <laughs> at the time, Harlem, you know, was the crime was bad, the drugs was bad. It was like, oh no, I'm I'm from 161st Street. I'm not from Harlem. <laughs> but I hear Harlem is a whole different thing now from what oh, it used yeah. to be. Yeah. Yeah, yes. But no, I, I I can't I was a candy striker at Columbia Presbyterian at 168th or something. Am I 168? Yeah, yeah. Were there a lot of black candy stripers then? Are we you one of or the only one? <laughs> I, I might have been the only one. There weren't many. I don't re, I don't remember seeing hardly anyone. Um it was a doctor there, a black female physician. I think her name was Dr. Doris Mitchell, I think. Something, yeah, Dr. Uh, Dr. Mitchell. Um and I forgot what field she was in, but I remember there was a, a black female, brown-skinned black female, who was uh, she was on staff at that time. And I remember because she actually ended up marrying uh, one of the custodians at the hospital there. Yeah. Wow. Yes, she did. Yes, she mm. did. Mm. Oh. Reverend Perry and, and Reverend Clayton, I'm sure uh, questions are coming to your mind. I guess wanted to kind of throw out one real quick, uh, going back to Dr. Crumpler. Um, when you when you've presented to people, what if you, what stands out in your mind? Uh, are people just incredulous, or do they really find it difficult to accept what you, what you're what you're saying in terms of her story? I'm just curious, what, in terms of the audience reaction as you've presented this really remarkable uh, sojourn of Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler. I think what really stands out is that again, her history is little known. I mean, people mm -hmm. don't know about her. She's not in our history books. Uh, and so I, I'm happy that I've been able to bring her story, you know, to the fore, uh, because her, I think her story is important. I think it's good for young people to see, mm. again, seeing, if you can see it, you know, you may believe you can be it, you know, mm -hmm. you can just have that vision. Um, and, and I have to say, as a result of my reading about her and doing some research about her, um, in 2013, Boston University, someone from BU came to Atlanta and they were traveling around, I guess, trying to get money from alumni. And they mentioned to me that they were starting an exhibit at the medical school for historical purposes and things like that. So I asked them, I said, well, do you have one, do you have one for Rebecca Lee Crumpler? And it's like, no, no, no. So in 2016, you know, I said, well, why not? This is 2013. I said, well, why not? So long story short, in 2016, uh, I actually initiated and co-funded and we established and unveiled an exhibit to her mm, mm. Uh, for Rebecca Lee Crumple. And as a result of that, I thought I was done with that. But then in 2019, when Governor Ralph Northam in Virginia was going through his blackface scandal, you may not remember that, but there was mm -hmm. a little thing going on with him. So I actually reached out to him and I said, you know, this woman served the Commonwealth there pretty nicely. You know, what about giving a little salve to the black community? Yeah. So I actually was able to uh, secure a proclamation in her name hmm. for annual doctor's day. March 30th is national doctor's day every year. Mm -hmm. And so in 2019, he gave me a proclamation for doctor's day as Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumford day in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Tremendous. Tremendous. That, that's, and then so, as a result yeah. of that, some people read about that in Boston. And then and then, uh, uh, a couple of years later, they started, some woman saw my articles and stuff, and she realized that Rebecca did not have a headstone. Hmm. 125 years, she and her husband did not have a headstone at hmm. their grave. And so anyway, they got money, they raised money, and now both Rebecca Lee Crumpler and her husband, Arthur Crumpler, have a headstone. So when that happened, I got her story on NBC Nightly News with Kate Snow. 
Oh, tremendous, tremendous. Reverend Perry, Reverend Clayton, and any thoughts in this regard? I, th I think that uh, in telling our story, these are the stories that probably um, rarely get told. You know, when I was in Waterbury, pastoring, I went to the Mattituck Museum. And when I went into the museum, I saw the skeleton of an ex-slave by the name of Fortune. Mm -hmm. And that yeah. had been in the museum in Waterbury for over 200 years. Mm. They say he was a slave to a doctor in Waterbury. And when he died, the doctor took his bones and hung him in his office. Mm. His wife went in to dust the bones. And you can imagine what it must have been like for her to go in every day and see those bones there. So that was a little known story. But we mm. talked to the mayor and we talked to some of the other church leaders. And we were able to bring that the story of fortune to life. Yeah. And not only that, we were able to bury the bones yeah. on the same hill where his uh, where his master had been placed. And I know he would be turning over in his grave to <laughs> yeah. <Yeah>. know that. <laughs> Jesus. That's amazing. That's amazing. amazing. Wow. Mm. Reverend Clayton. Yes, I. I, I'm I'm loving this show, and uh, I also, Doctor. <laughs> that's two. That's I, two. Okay, very good. <laughs> but uh, telling your story is awesome, but I I my mind goes to the future, hmm. in a sense. So I I want to want you to help us with something here. Um, Black women have the highest risk of dying from pregnancy complications. And the statistics clearly demonstrate the racial and ethnic disparity on average. And, and in your book, it tells us that, that 40, I mean, 41.7 deaths per 100,000 compared to 13.4 deaths for white sisters. And, and I would wanted, wonder if you could just share with our listeners mm. a way that we could improve those numbers. Mm. Mm. Well, that is the challenge before us right now. And mm. that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book. Um, and also I have to thank the publisher because I'll be honest with you, for years, I, I wrote a book in 2003 and for many years, a lot of publishers have been loath to publish books about Black health because they think Black people don't read books or Black people don't read books about their health. And that's just kind of been the, the industry attitude. I think with COVID, the public has realized that there are ethnic disparities that kind of brought it to the fore, like, okay, we really do need to pay attention to our health. So I thank God for the publisher being willing to now allow another book to come forward. Um, as a physician, I, I contend you know, as an OBGYN and even before I locked in on that specialty, you know, you get to examine everybody, you know, male and male and female. But as a woman, regardless of skin color or hair texture, our workings are all the same when normal. OK, there are abnormalities sometimes, but our workings are all the same. So what is it that happens to us as black people that causes the numbers to get so divergent. Mm. Okay, what is it? And then some people will say that it's 
only because of lack of access to care, which is a factor. Or some people will say it's only because people don't have health insurance, which, yes, is a factor. Okay. But I contend a couple of things. One is, because we know that even for those with access to care and for those with insurance, we still lag behind with successful healthcare outcomes. We still don't do well with maternal health issues. We still have higher rates of heart disease and diabetes and obesity and, and cancer deaths. More white women get breast cancer, but more black women die from it. Mm. Okay. So some mm. of that has to do, I feel, and this is where I kind of, I'm in a, I'm a big personal responsibility person. And that's not a Republican thing. That's just, I'm saying as a, we need, we have to be stewards of our health. Mm-hmm. Okay. We are in charge. We have to be stewards of our body. Um, I want to encourage people to take time, go get your checkups. Okay. You have time, you have some money, you know, maybe forego the hair appointment and the nail appointment. And if you don't go get some care at least once a year, get your checkup done. Uh, We have to start prenatal care earlier than we do. We're late Mm. starting prenatal care. Uh, And again, we don't get regular checkups and I'm a woman of faith, but sometimes we just say, oh, I'm not going to claim that. I'm not, I'm just going to pray over that. And we don't make use of doctors that are here to be helpers. We can be helpers one to another. We are put here to help serve and to help take care of you. So I want people, yeah, we can pray about things, but I want people to realize, go see the doctor. Don't just be afraid of it. Because sometimes we're too afraid too. We don't want to find out. Mm-hmm. You know, we mm-hmm. don't want to go. And then by the time you show up, it's gotten really bad and, and you know, you may not have much time left. So I want to be more proactive, make use of your doctors. We also need to see more black physicians in the physician workforce. Mm. Okay. Because we do know, and this is unfortunate, but it is, it's a fact that minorities receive their health care better when it's given to them by someone of their own ethnicity. Mm. Okay, and that has something to do with, you know, historically, you know, Blacks mis- were misused by physicians, Tuskegee experiment, a lot of Black women underwent hysterectomies unnecessarily. Uh, so there are those issues, but we have to overcome those fears. We have to make use of the medical facilities that are out there, make use of the free health clinics that go on. Mm-hmm. Churches have health events. You know, my, you may have the church packed out at a concert and be lucky if you get 20, 30 people show up at a health event. I think that's changing. So we just have to, we have to apply the same discipline to our physical health that we apply to our spiritual health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think you said the other day, um, we can go to church on Sunday, on Tuesday, go to choir rehearsal, on Wednesday, go to Bible, Bible study. <laughs> on Saturday, we passing out the tracks. Well, you and- missed prayer meeting on Friday now. Maybe, maybe that was my Kojic. <laughs> that was during my Kojic days, okay? We- <laughs> <laughs> but we could do all of that and yet not take time to go see a primary care physician or to see a primary care physician. I think that that's, that's the point. And I think all of the disparities that you talked about, all the history of sterilization and the history of implied bias that goes along with the practice, the, um, you know, the experimentation with all kinds of drugs and cosmetics on people of color, you know, for profit and, and not for really the care of the community or individuals leads, leads a dark pathway for us mm-hmm. to, to, to see the light. 
And so when we have people like you and, and an author and a doctor, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's, it's impressive. The young people who may be watching, it's impressive to people who think that, you know, maybe I, I, in my mind and in my spirit, it looked like this is something that I could not do. But when they see you, it gives hope to our community and to young people. Mm-hmm. So we're, what we're doing here at Yale is that we, we're trying to do a number of things with interns from Meharry and Fisk and Howard to bring them to Yale. Mm. Um, even, even those who are doing their internship, those three institutions, we're bringing them to Yale so that the, 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 the university here, the medical school can look more like us. We've got them to give us some funds to outreach or interns and do a pilot program for minority youth. And they, oh, fantastic. They, oh yeah, and they, they, they have projects, they, they learn about Epic, they do TikTok, they, um, they brainstorm about projects of how to make, for example, storybooks for children about COVID, you know, that, and, and they draw their own superheroes. I mean, it's, it's, it's phenomenal, it's phenomenal. Um, and, and so, you know, these pipelines are so important, like Upward Bound and these other programs that Meharry has with Vanderbilt and ones that FIS has for their students. And this is what, you know, major white institutions, and I, I ain't going to call it reparations, but major white institutions need to do in order to change the face of medicine and, 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 and heighten the disparity that exists between all of us. One of the things in your book that I really like is you have a page uh, that shows brother, sister, mother, father, and then on the sideline, it has asthma, heart failure, heart trouble, diabetes. So that genetically, one of the questions that you know we're coming to realize is that we need to have, we need to know who in our family had, had heart problems, who in our family suffered from asthma, and I mean, I've never seen that in a book. And I, I was so happy to see it. I was getting ready to check down all the things in my And family. do that. You can still do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I thought, it, I thought it was important. In fact, I, I kind of began, I, I go through some basic statistics, but the, yeah, we need to know our family history, know what runs in the family, diabetes, heart disease. You know, granddaddy might've had a heart attack at 35 or something right. like that. You know, uh, asthma. Uh, cancer, sickle cell anemia. Uh, so yeah, I, I go through all that. And yeah, I do have a checklist with a whole bunch of d- diseases down one side. And like you said, across the board, mother, father, sister, brother, cousins, grandparents, whatever. So yeah. just check, 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 check. And then also in the back of the book, after you've read through the book and all that, or even if you don't do it after you've read through, but just kind of check, I have a personal inventory for you to kind of check some things off about yourself. And maybe take it to your doctor. You know, you might not see oh, how some yeah. things link together, yeah. uh, but your doctor will see how some yeah. certain things link together. So yeah, well, thank you because I think that's important. I'm just impressed with what you guys are doing up there at Yale. I just think that is phenomenal. Yeah, and one of the other things I want to say about your book, uh, uh, and that say is, it, say it. <laughs> it's, it's the, it's the, I, I've looked at a number of medical books like uh, Harriet Washington's Medical Apartheid, uh, Medicine and Slavery, um, you know, about and the brutality that they perpetuated on, on Black women, you know. Um, 
But one of the things I thought I found was really interesting in your book was how you said that Black women now are becoming more infected by AIDS than their counterparts, and that like it's a new kind of trend. But what you go on to point to is that there are down low brothers, and I have watch out now, that. watch out, watch out, Rev. <laughs> I haven't seen that written by anybody. So to do that, I think that's that's powerful, that's bold, that's provocative. You know, you got to tell the whole story. You got to tell the truth, and, and the truth will set you free. So I, you know, I'm just I'm happy about this book. I might need security from some folks after that. <laughs> but you know, we we have to we we can't act like some things aren't happening. Okay, we we can't just turn a blind eye and act like, well, that's really that's really not what the deal is. Um, and so, yes, with the HIV situation, that is something that I do bring out in the book. Uh, in fact, years ago, I'll be honest with you, the CDC which, yes, is our main body for collecting data and all that. But I, I went to a medical conference in 2014 here. It was a big STD conference. And never, ever, ever had I ever been to one where there was so much about, and they use the, the term now, men who have sex with men. But there were so many lectures. But then when it came time to talk about HIV reporting, they were, they were re resistant and reluctant to put that out there. So some of us said, wait a minute, you have to let people know, just as we let people know if you are morbidly obese, you're at higher risk mm -hmm. of getting diabetes. If you smoke, you're at higher risk of getting lung cancer. If you play tennis, you're at higher risk of getting tennis elbow. Okay, mm -hmm. or if you swim a lot, you can get what we call swimmer's ear. So that's not, and they were like, well, we don't want to stigmatize the community. And I'm, we, I and some other doctors said, wait a minute, that's not stigmatizing. That's informing. Mm. That's mm. informing. Mm. So yes, people do need to know, and Black women need to know, that the number one reason why heterosexual Black women is the fastest growing demographic of new HIV cases is quite honestly because Purely heterosexual women are having sex with men that go both wide, go both ways. Okay, they're on the down low, and they may not say that. Okay, the men may not say, "Well, you know, look, I, I go both ways. You know, take it or leave it," kind of thing. They may not tell you. So that's why I tell women, you know, you just have to be careful. But they need to know that that's why they're they are the. It's not some genetic predisposition that we're automatically. Predisposed to get, uh, I can't speak today, uh, to get uh, HIV. It's because of partner selection. Mm -hmm. And I think you, I think mm -hmm. you also touched to uh, the point of uh, the, the the family, family values, uh, church. I mean, just that healthiness, that healthy part of our communities that kind of cushioned us and protected us from some of these evils. Um, even growing up, I mean, I, I was telling, I was telling folk the other day that I rarely saw a doctor and the only doctor that I saw growing up was a black doctor and he was a dentist, but mom had, had castor oil and, and Dr. Ben Gay <laughs> and okay. Dr. Vic Sav. Yeah. And that's what, you know, so those were the kind of things. And, and so there wasn't this level of mistrust because we, we didn't even bother with it unless it was an emergency. Uh-huh. But the other thing that kept our community healthy and safe was a good Christian um, community that, that, you know, that they saw you drinking, they tell you, come on, you can do better than that. I know your mama. 
Or, you know, if they saw you in the wrong crowd, they would say, no, you don't need to be with them. We've lost all of that. We're in a TikTok, Facebook, Twitter world, and, and, and we don't talk to one another. And we emulate stuff that, that, that we see on social media. And that's, that's, that's awful. It concerns me greatly. It really, it concerns me. And also we know too, and this was even reported last week, all of this time that these young kids are spending on social media, it's affecting their minds. It's mm. affecting their, their mental health. Mm. It's mm. affecting their self-esteem. It's affecting their reading comprehension. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just yeah. affecting mm -hmm. so much in a negative way. And I, I think too, and I, again, I'm a proponent of responsibility. I think parents, like you said, Rev, you know, one, I think we've got to get back to the church being the church and not mm. a performance <laughs> center. Yeah. Uh, we need to get back to some values. We need our families, our parents to get back to discipline. I'd like to see people get back to marriage before babies. When I was growing up, it was That's first right. comes love, then comes yeah. marriage, <laughs> then comes someone with the baby carriage. I mean, that was what I remember. Okay, <laughs> And that doesn't apply now. And I think a lot of people in the regular community, they look at what celebrities are doing and it, that, that's kind of made it okay. Okay. Uh, but not everybody has millions of dollars and has nannies and this, that, and the other. And I think we have to get back to our family structure and family values and discipline and some godly teaching. Amen. It's just, you know, it's just too much. It, everything. And, and I mean, again, I grew up with a single mother, but that was back in the day. But these parents today and a lot of the parents now really didn't have parents mm. right, to raise mm. them properly. Mm. OK, this generation we're in right now. So this is what they know and this is what they're doing or not doing with their kids. And it's, it's concerning to me. I'm going to tell you one quick thing and then I'll be quiet. Uh, last year, I went to a um, Georgia Emergency Management Homeland Security Conference. It was a it was emergency management about crime. I had never been around so many police officers with nine millimeters. OK, it was a police <laughs> officer convention, really. And, and yes, I know there have been a few issues with with cops and, and killing us. But again, I say more of us are killing us and black lives must matter to blacks is something that I say. But at the convention, this hurt me so badly. One of the speakers, he showed a little video from TikTok or Snapchat or Instagram, one of those little things. There was a little four-year-old kid on the video and a little boy was saying, I was born to be a crip. I was born to be a crip. Don't F with me, don't F with me. I was born to be a crip. And his mother or whoever the woman was in the background, she was telling him how to make the hand sign. You know, oh. no, not that finger, the other finger. And she was instructing him mm. on how to make the proper hand sign. And then, okay, now you got it, now say it. And he would, with the hand sign. And so we have a subculture going on that is really destructive to the black community. Oh. And we have got to get a hold on that. Mm -hmm. We have about 10, 15 more minutes to go. So as, as the spirit moves us and questions come to your mind, please share. Reverend Clayton, I can see your brain has been ticking for the last, well, it's been ticking <laughs> since we started on this show, but I, I, I guess since you, something you'd like to share. Uh, again, I, I'm just overjoyed. Uh, and the quality of this book is awesome. 
Reverend Clayton, what's the title again? So for, for folks to know. <laughs> Can I hold it up? Yeah, please. And, and women's just, wellness. Women's wellness. Black women's wellness. Black yeah. women's wellness. Available and, on Amazon. And, and right. you, you, you go, you go deep into some things about <clears throat> the state of the mind. Uh, and, and and here's another thing. I, I'm I'm pretty sure that the importance of having positions of color. Um, you 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 see things that perhaps or understand things that perhaps a, a, a white OBGYN, OBGYN would not have caught. And um, a baby goes home, he or she is healthy, but there's some things going on in the mind and, and, and in surrounding that mm. you may pick up. Mm. Um, could you share some of that with us? Well, again, the disruption of the family, uh, I feel, again, getting back to, we need to make sure that parents are parenting mm -hmm. and because yeah. it affects the mind. In fact, there are some conditions, and one of them I didn't expound as much in the book as I wanted to, where I think some of what's happening with these young kids, especially these young males, it is a personality disorder called borderline personality disorder. Okay, little known. We know about bipolar. We know about ADHD. We know about schizophrenia. But borderline personality disorder is something where some of the early parental absences and uh, molestation, uh, lack of, fam of maternal or paternal input or early divorce or death of a parent can affect these children's minds so badly that they have no sense of self-worth. They attack, they have no impulse control because they're angry, their spirits are angry and, and they have they just attack and they don't reason before they react. And I think some of that too might be playing a role with our crime that we're seeing in the schools today. Mm. So, and I also get into the effect of racism on our mental health, you know, that, that plays a role. It affects our psyche. You know, the term now is microaggressions, little things are said to you that that really pain and hurt. And we, as people of color, we bear that, but we have to keep going in a you know, predominantly white community and society. So those things affect our psyche. They affect the way we feel about ourselves. And that's why we have to, you know, gird ourselves with, with some faith, with some family, with good support, with the church. Uh, good community services, and uh, so I'll, I'll just stop with that right now. All yeah, right, I think, I think that the church could play, uh, and I think the church needs to play um, a major part that that uh, demonstrates that we're not living in the past, but we're living in the present. Mm -hmm. You know, so we've got to be open up to new ideas and. Like, for example, having someone like you as a mentor for our young girls um, who could meet with them. Like we were trying to, we know that black men really are uh, an endangered species. And we've tried having men's choirs and men's mentoring groups. And it's really difficult. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is, it is, I did a fatherhood program and trust me, the stuff that happened in that fatherhood program is what you were talking about in terms of, um, where black men are in their minds, 
You know, and then there's baby mama drama. There's the police. There's unemployment. There's the prison background. And so how do, how do we get these young people, these young black men back into families, back into homes? And when, and, you know, like I was, I, I had some young men who had three different baby mamas. And I, I'm saying, so how, do, how does this work out for you? You know? Well, and look at have, that guy, Nick Cannon. I mean, he's yes. a, Nick Cannon. You know, he's got four or five babies being born in the same month almost. I'm like, come <laughs> on, y'all. It's like. It, it's, it's. But see, and but see, that's what our young people see. And so, oh, it's okay. And look, he's making millions of dollars. He's on TV. Right. You know, right. he's got all these pretty fine women, you know, that he's able mm -hmm. to get. And so that's what people are seeing, and that's what they are embracing. But it's yeah, destroying but... our it's destroying our youth. It's destroying our families. It's destroying our women. You know, these women are young girls out here looking like poochies the guys are walking down here with their pants on the ground okay i mean i saw a guy yesterday i really wanted to just grab him and, and, and but i you know yeah pull, pull. I, I won't even in my mind i was like you know what really you know we do not need to see your underwear and whatever else we might be seeing right there you know so we I'm going to put it on you, you brothers out there, that you black men. You, you guys need to get to the guys because I think the women, we need the men to stand on up their grant to talk to these brothers. It's, it's, it's See, a this challenge. Is, this is why the 1619 Project is good for us as well. Because when black men realized that they were never meant to be fathers, they were meant to be breeders, that they were never meant to be family members, they were meant to be studs, you know, who were out for hire. And, and, and so, when you see what's happening now, you just got to look back at the antebellum South and look at where uh, black men and, and through history, even after after the Civil War and after they were free, how they put them on slave games, how they, you know, dehumanized them as individuals, never calling them by their name, always calling them boy in derogatory ways. And it's only been those black families, I think, who bought into that invisible institution we call the black church that found, you know, don't, you know, some God knows my name. I'm a child of the king. Those who found, you know, responsibility in family uh, seem to have been the ones who, who made a difference. And that's the kind of family that I came out of with, with a working dad from the South who had four, four hungry children to feed and he worked two jobs. But together they made it possible for us to see that, you know, there's a that education is a key. It's an opportunity. You got to fight for it. And what I'm trying to tell these young guys, even 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 those who didn't finish high school, you can go back and finish high school. You don't have to be a doctor or a lawyer, but you you are somebody and you need to like get your life together. And it's a, it's a hard task. But all of us seeming to me, we all have that responsibility of being mm -hmm. mentors. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think I it's important too to show them they can be something other than just playing a ball or singing hip hop and rap. Right. Okay. There's more to life than just those two careers for Black people to go into. I mean, we need people to do other things. So they we need to show them they can do that, that these jobs are out there, you know. Dr. McLeod, share with us, we have about six more minutes and everyone else's questions might come to your mind, but you're a published author. You've had a practice for several decades, but you have, correct me if I'm wrong, still miles to go. I mean, you're still writing and <laughs> public speaking. So share with us what's... Uh, 
what's in, in, in store for your journey as you travel throughout the United States? Well, I hope the preachers don't put me on the altar, but I'm going to play Mega Millions tonight. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'm going to buy me an island somewhere off the coast of Spain and just disappear. (laughs) But in the the real world, okay, let's see, okay. Really, yeah, that's really not too far from my 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 dream. But anyway, <laughs> but I do um, my blue sky. I I really I want to move to a coastal town and just kind of still you know have a good life and be healthy. Um, I do want to encourage people that just as I mean, not that my story is all that great, but I did come from poor beginnings. Again, I had no family and I want people to know you can make it. You can, if, but you have to apply yourself. You know, nothing's going to be handed to you on a silver platter. Uh, and you, and there are more resources out here now for people. So you can take advantage of it. You know, even like what you guys are doing up there in, in, in New Haven, take advantage of it. Um, I, I enjoy writing. Um, and so I want to do more of that. And uh I want to see more of the world, you know, also to this, a beautiful world out here that God gave us, even here yes. in our country. You know, there's some that going out West is a whole different environment. So I travel, art, music, good food, looking for a husband still, but, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, all is well, all is no, well. I'm hanging no. on in here for an old broad. I'm, I'm hanging in here. <laughs> Mella, you should consider writing uh, a biography on, on Wyatt T. Walker. I had mentioned his name to some people and they act like, who is that? I said, you don't know who Y.T. Walker is? The author of the book, Somebody's Calling My Name, the general uh, who worked with Dr. King, uh, strategist, uh, the pulpiteer. I mean, he was a masterful. And in Harlem, he was somebody. He was. uh, And it's so sad that even his, you know, when he paid, I went to his funeral in Virginia. I didn't go to the one in New York. And, but I did talk to some people who were there. And it was so sad that even at that time in 2018, the New York funeral really wasn't what it could have been. Um, and I do have some of his private writings even that weren't even published when he was working on his doctorate. Yeah, yeah, because he had appointed me secretary to the music department at Canaan when I was a teenager while he was working on his doctorate as in sacred musicology. Yeah, you know, that's that, right. He had that voice, you know. That's right. That's right. Dr. McLeod, as we have about four more minutes, Share a little bit about your, uh, what you would say to some of the young, you mentioned the young men, but what would you say to some of the young girls uh, uh, that are listening? And we have a very broad and diverse audience and we share this particular show widely, but what what kind of thoughts and prayers would you like to address to some of the young women? Well, very uh, good, because actually at the end of my book, I have uh, life lessons for your daughters and theirs, which is, and again, the book in the book basically got, I'll let you know, I have information in there for Black, White, Hispanic, Asian, and Native American women, so everybody can read the book. But I give four little points. Okay, one is guard your garden, be well-read, tend that body, and sweat that head. So guard your your garden is self-explanatory, or at least kind of think about what that might mean. Take care of your your personhood. Uh, Be well-read, read, educate yourself. Tend that body, groom yourself, proper care, hygiene, nutrition, food, and sweat that head. 
which means get on out there, exercise, even just taking some short walks, okay, can mm. keep your heart pressure down, keep your blood pressure down, keep your heart disease down, keep your diabetes away, keep you moving, keep your joints moving. So that would be it in a nutshell. Guard your garden, be well read, tend that body, and sweat that head. <laughs> <laughs> and if you sweat it, we got shampoo, wash it, and then make a salad. Don't leave it all looking all crazy. <laughs> we, we have 90 more seconds. And gentlemen, if you don't mind, I'd like to give uh, Dr. McLeod the last word. Dr. McLeod, what would Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler say to us today as you channel her spirit and worked on her story and have told her spirit? Oh, her my. Story? And what in 90 you? seconds, I should have shared this earlier. She had a few little quotes, but she but one quick thing she said that a cheerful home with a small tract of land in the country with wholesome food and water is worth more to preserve health and life than a house in a crowded city with luxuries and 20 rooms. So her thing was family structure, family values, and family love. So wow. say that again, because I, I just want to hear that again about the, the house. <laughs> a cheerful home with a small tract of land in the country with wholesome food and water is worth more to preserve health and life than a house in a crowded city with luxuries and 20 rooms. Mm -hmm. Thank you. How smart was this woman Thank here? I mean, how Thank smart you. was she? Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Let, let's keep her spirit alive, everybody. And, and Harry, that's a wrap. And just want to thank Dr. Uh, McLeod. It's really been a pleasure. Dense, it's always good, always good to see you guys. And just, uh, again. Thank <laughs> you for having me. This was fun. It was a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Thank you very much. As I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen I'm never quitting on my mission, I'ma roll with what I'm giving Got some ambition, this new addition, filling positions Looking at the void in myself and feeling what's missing Better watch the way you're going, better go in the right direction In the moment you stressing, but you gon' be counting blessings And I know that for certain, keep on working, open curtains Haters swerving, cause they ain't ready for your final version Whoa. I'm never gon' give up, give up Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, yeah Cause this is my run, let's camera action already